So pledge, a vow, covenant. What do those words mean? What do they all have in common? They're all words that describe a promise. Right? A promise. Promises are important in our culture, right? In our lives. It, by promises, we, when we make a promise, we are committing to do everything we can, everything in our power to see that promise accomplished, whatever it is. It's how we build trust with each other. And we say it different ways. We might say it, I promise you this, or we, we just say, yes, I will do this. We try to be men and women of our word. All those things that we do daily are, are us keeping promises that we have made. Uh, one thing I've learned through life is that promises are, are easier to make than they are to keep, aren't they? It's easy to, to make a promise. So it's Father's Day, so picture this. It's morning time. You got up early. The dad, dads, you got up early. You're getting, you got to go to work a little bit early, so you are, you're in the kitchen. You have your coffee, uh, something, some toast for breakfast, and uh, in walks your little child, a little boy or a girl, and they come in, little bedhead in their pajamas, looking so cute, and they come up and they give you a big hug. Daddy, I love you. Daddy, you're the best daddy in the world. And it's just that tender moment you have, right? And then you say, maybe against your better judgment, you say, tonight I'm going to take you to Chick-fil-A for dinner. Tonight we're going to watch whatever you want. We're going to cuddle on the couch. And they say, you promise, daddy? And you say, yes, I promise. <laughs> but there's 10 hours until dinner time, right? You leave for work. You, uh, you go to work, you're, you're busy, you get a call from your wife and she says, uh, what's this about Chick-fil-A? <laughs> you know, every 10 minutes, uh, our daughter keeps asking, is it time yet? Is it time? Do we get to go to Chick-fil-A? We haven't had breakfast yet, but no, it's going to be a long day. You get to work and your boss is saying, hey, I'm going to need to get those TPS reports tonight. Hopefully, you know, you can take care of those. So now, oh, it's going to be a late night getting those reports ready. And a little later, your, your mom calls and says, hey, wondering if you can come over tonight. Dad, Dad needs some help with some things. Hey, I'll cook you some dinner. I have a roast ready. Bring the family. And, you know, just life happens. And then that promise, which was so easy to make in the morning, is now difficult with all these things, you know, the behavior of the kid, the pressure of work, family obligations, and all those things. And it's tough. How do you respond to that? How do you handle those things? These things happen all the time, right? They happen in our lives. Some of us have been jaded by these promises that have been made. You know, you had a boss that has given you a review, said, you're doing such good work. You keep it up, and you're going to get that promotion. You're going to get that raise. But in comes somebody new. They get the promotion, and you don't get it. Uh, a friend, maybe, who has been struggling for quite some time, keeps promises, you know, I'm going to get some help. I'm going to get some help. But they never get that help, and they continue to spiral. Or maybe you've seen the marriages, your marriage, or friends, or family, where they've made that vow to be faithful, but that vow ends with a divorce. And we see these promises around, and they hurt. They hurt when we get these promises that are not fulfilled, right? But then we enter into the Bible, and we get to start reading the Bible, and we see these covenants that God makes, these promises that he makes with his people. 
And we ask that question, is this a God who, who he makes promises, but can he keep them? Can he keep these promises? And we know that as, as we grow in our, in our relationship with God, we grow in faith, we grow in trust, meaning that we, we trust this God in his promises. And so we have this, uh, this sometimes a difficulty to know, can I trust this God? Is he good? Will he be good to me? Will he be good to my friends, family that I want to introduce him to? So these are questions that we have to ask and answer, questions that we need to have answers to. Can we trust this God who makes these promises in our lives? We've been in a series right now called Kingdom Come. We are looking at the kingdom of God, a topic that was very near and dear to Jesus' heart. Right? Jesus is the one who said, seek first, above everything else, seek first the kingdom of God. When you pray, pray that the kingdom of God comes, that God's will will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. He taught us again and again about the kingdom, saying, this is what it looks like. Here's how you live in the kingdom. Here's how you follow the king. So these these topics, this topic is near and dear to Jesus, but we see it through Scripture. And so we've been spending time looking uh, right now just in Genesis as we see the kingdom of God unfolding before us. And it's important for us to, to understand that. Because of what Jesus said, because of the emphasis he had, it's important for us as followers of Jesus to know about this kingdom, to understand it. For us as Ambassador Church, that our name comes from this kind of a title. It comes from a kingdom title, saying that we are ambassadors. We represent the kingdom of God. So it's important for us to understand this. Today, we're going to be spending some time in in Genesis 12, where it's going to talk about this kingdom that is promised. that that, That God is talking to Abram, and he's promising a kingdom that is to come. A few weeks ago, we started with uh, kind of an opening to this, and then we went into Genesis 1 and 2, where it talked about the pattern of the kingdom. We see this as he starts to unfold what this pattern looks like. It's this place of this relationship with men and God, men and women made in the image of God, made into uh, to relate and to love each other, that they are to to have dominion and, and to be rulers in this world watching over God's creation to fill it and to take care of it. So we saw that pattern. But last week, Pastor Daniel talked about the perished kingdom, right? As, as uh, Adam and Eve decided to not follow the will of their king, they decided to follow their own will. They disobeyed, and they, we call that sin, and they broke this relationship. This kingdom that had been built was now perishing. And so now the question is, is where do we go from here? What does it look like? Like, what's the relationship going to look like between the men and women that God created in his image and their relationship with the king once sin is in the mix, once that rebellion has already happened? Like, what's that relationship going to look like? Is this the kind of God that's going to give them a second chance, or is it going to be the kind of God that says, nope, you got a chance, you ruined it, let's move on? Well, all that happened on like page two or three. I have about 1,100 more pages in my Bible. So that seems like there's more to the story than just, nope, you had your chance, let's move on. 
It seems like there's, there's more to the story that God's saying, yes, even though there's sin, there's still going to be a relationship. But the question is, what does that relationship look like? So God's going to introduce this promised kingdom to the Israelites. He's going to show them what this looks like, that this is a kingdom of grace. That yes, once there is, there is sin in this world, there's sin in your hearts and in your life, but I'm going to show you my grace. I'm going to keep the door open for you to come and be a part of my kingdom. So that's what we're going to see. But let's start with this. Let's kind of start with this question, this question that is kind of looming over our heads as we finish chapter 3 is can we get back into this relationship with God, and what will that look like? Because if you remember the end of chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, you can look. We'll have it on the screen here too. But in Genesis chapter 3, verse 23, 24, it says, So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which they had been taken. In verse 24, it says, After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden a cherubim, And had a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. That's how chapter 3 ends. And so it's this question, like, how do we get back into this relationship with God? Is it possible? How do we get back into his kingdom? Because now there's a cherubim that's standing there with this flashing sword in every direction. And... In case you're visualizing it, don't picture a cherubim as that kind of chubby little baby with diapers on, you know. No, think more of like a fierce warrior, right, in all of its battle gear with the sword. There's no way we're getting past that. But that's how it ends. And so how do we get back? Is it possible to get back into this relationship that mattered to Adam and Eve as they were banished? strong word, banished from the Garden of Eden. And they see this cherubim with this sword. For them, it mattered. Can we have a relationship again? It mattered to the Israelites who were hearing the story. They had come out of slavery, right, over in Egypt. And they're hearing the story. And it matters to them. Can we have a relationship with God? This God who saved us uh, from the from the Egyptians, what does he want with us? Is he a good God? Does he care for us? Or are we going to be his slaves, right? That matters to them. And it matters to us, too. That Yes, we, we live right now in the new covenant, right? The New Testament with, with Jesus and his sacrifice. And we'll get to that here uh, eventually in a couple weeks. But as right now we're looking at the story, it matters. Like, who is this God, Because we know that God does not change, right? He's unchanging. And so how will he interact with people once they have sinned? How will he interact with us once we have sinned, when we have rebelled, when we have not listened to him, not obeyed his voice? Is there grace? Is there second chances? Does he care about us? Will that door ever be opened? So that's kind of the question that looms. But let's, let's see what the, what the scriptures uh, show us. We're going to kind of go from 4 to, to chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, we'll be in those passages right there. But there's a lot to see here. But we're going to start with the kingdoms of men. 
Okay, we had this kingdom in the Eden, but now they're banished from that. And so now what happens? As we open up Genesis chapter 4, we see the very first city being built. Okay, those of you who are like Bible trivia people, do you know what is the first city in the Bible? Okay, it's right here. We'll get to it in, in, verse, four, in verse 17. Genesis 4, verse 17. It says, Cain made love to his wife, and she became pregnant, and then they gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city, and he named it after his son Enoch. So the first city in the world called Enoch. This was built by Cain, right? What do we know about Cain? He was the the son of Adam and Eve, and he had a brother named Abel, okay? Um, It's very interesting to me, at least, that as they were banished from the Garden of Eden, they still had a relationship with God. God joined them. And as, we, as you kind of open up chapter 4, you see that, that there's this um, act of worship that's happening, that Adam and Eve and their children are in this, um, they're teaching their children how to worship, and Abel and Cain give God an offering. But remember what happens, that God looks on favor with Abel's offering, but not on Cain's. We don't have a lot of detail. A lot of commentators spend a lot of time thinking, like, what did he do? Why did he approve one and not the other? We're not really given a a lot of um, answers to that. But we see that Cain, his, his offering was not received. And remember his attitude? He gets angry. Right? His face is downcast. And here's, here's that other time. God interacts with, with them. And he talks to Cain. He says, Cain, why, are you, why is your face so downcast? Right? Why are you so angry? He says, if you do what is right and what is acceptable, you'll have my pleasure. Right? But he says, but right now, sin is crouching at your door, and you have to rule over it. Rule over it. That came a few weeks ago in, in the Garden of Eden when God says, I want you to rule over creation, subdue it. And here he's saying, you, Cain, you have to rule over sin. Right there at the beginning, you have to crucify that sin. You have to push it away. But instead, Cain gave in to sin. He told his brother Abel, let's go for a hike. They go out in the field, and then he kills him out there. So you see right here, he's, you see Cain, he's someone who's got some religious aspect to him, but yet angry and jealous. And God has, has judged him, and he sent him away, and now he's banished from God's presence. It actually says there's a curse above him. That curse means you are not in the presence of God anymore. Now that's going to be important. Hold on to that when we get to the end. But that's where he's, now he's away from God's presence. And that's where he builds a city. He builds his first city. He's angry. He's jealous. He's killed. Now he builds a city. And that's the kind of thing that he builds his kingdom with. That's the hallmarks of his city. Right? If you look at man's kingdom, you see it starts with this jealousy and anger. And then it builds with this violence. And that violence will continue. There's 10 generations that go in this city. So there's, there's some time now. We're kind of pressing the fast-forward button between a couple of these verses here. But we see the city has grown into a civilization. It has livestock. It has, it has art and music and poetry. They make bronze tools. So they're, 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 they're doing okay. But then in verse 23, we see this, this picture of man's heart. This man named Lemek. I don't know if he's the governor, the mayor. I don't know who he is. But here's what it says. 
gives a picture of the city. Lamech said to his wives, verse 23, Abdul and, and, and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. You see that? Here's this man who continues to be violent. Some young man offended him, hurt him, injured him, and he killed him. He took his life. But then it goes on. There's pride that we see in verse 24. This is, this is a song, by the way. This is their poetry, right? It says, if Cain is avenged seven times, then Lemek 77 times. So what Lemek is saying is if this family comes to get revenge, if they kill one of my family members, I'm going to kill 77 of theirs. Not a lot of justice in this city, is there? Is this a place that you want to live? Is this a kingdom you want to be a part of? There's anger, right? There's jealousy, there's violence, there's pride, there's injustice. This is the kingdom of men. This is the first city, the first kingdom that we see developing. You think right off the bat, like, oh, this is, this is not good. There's no hope. Right? This is all bad. But just throughout the scripture, we always, whenever we see something like this, something so bad, so dark, so violent, we see these little moments of hope. And that's what we see in verse 25. Genesis 4, 25, it says, And Adam made love to his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son and named him Enosh, at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Do you see that? So now there's, just in the midst of all of this terrible stuff, there's this remnant of hope that people now are calling on the name of the Lord. And as we see that line develop, we see these people, they live a long time, all right? They, but we see that they're walking with the Lord. We meet one person named Enoch, not related to Cain's son, a different one, but it says that he walked with the Lord, right? He walked with the Lord, and he walked faithfully with God, and then he was no more because God took him away. It's this mysterious, like, moment, like, what happened to him? We don't know. Did God just kind of take him away, you know, just, you know, or whatever? We're not sure. But the point is that he was walking with God in the midst of this violence, in the midst of man's uh, kingdom. There's this ability to know God, to walk with him, to, be, uh, to enjoy this relationship with him. And so you have these kind of two lines in, in, in Genesis 4 and two, in Genesis 5 of one, the ungodly line that comes from Cain, and then with Seth, this godly line that God is blessing, that people get to know the Lord. But as we get into chapter 6, we see that there's this evil everywhere. It's all through society. This kingdom that man has made is just evil. It's just wicked. That it's, it says that their, every inclination of their thoughts and of their heart was evil and was wicked. It grieved God that the people on earth were corrupt in all of their ways. And that's where he says, I'm going to judge this world. And we know that is the flood, right? But he doesn't destroy everyone there's still that remnant that one person that comes from the line of seth right a man named noah 
who found favor with God, that God would take him and his family and care for them, put them in the ark and see them through this flood, through this terrible storm, this terrible moment where all of life was taken away except for a few animals and one family. But then we would see that they would come out of the ark and they would come back into this world. They would repopulate this world. And you would think... Now, now that they're going to build a new kingdom, that this kingdom will be a godly kingdom. This will be in the pattern of Eden. But is that what we see happen? We don't. We see very early on, we see Noah, just this man of God, right, who had followed. He had obeyed the Lord and all that he did. He has a vineyard. He makes grapes. He makes wine. He gets drunk. He lies naked. His son sees him and tells the, his brothers. And that's when Noah, so embarrassed, what does he do? For the first time ever, you see him put a curse upon another person. He curses his son. Cursed are you. Way back, God said, I'm going to curse the ground. Or you're going to be under a curse. But here, Noah, someone who was walking with the Lord, says, I'm cursing my own son. And it's, that's the evil. That's not in the environment. It's where? It's in the hearts. It's in the hearts of all of us. Here's a, a graphic just to show it to you. This is kind of just showing for those of you visual. You see there's the two lines, two kingdoms, right, under Adam. But then, as we see the story develop, we see another kingdom in, verse, in chapter 11, right? We know this is another city called what? Remember, Babel. People come together around the world, and uh, they say, well, let's build us a city. We're going to build a city now. And uh, remember how they describe it? They say, let's come build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches the heavens so that we will make a name for ourselves. So that we will make a name for ourselves. What is their motivation? to make a name for ourselves. The motivation was not anything about God. It was not about let's, let's follow his desire and his, his will for us to go build the city, to go uh, be a place where his kingdom and the values of his kingdom are, are established and lived out. Let's go be a place where we can meet with the Lord. No, it was let's make a name for ourselves, that pride again. And we see this same pattern developing. So through this all, we see that one of the key words that we keep hearing is the word curse. When we look at the kingdom of men, we see it's cursed. We are under a curse. We curse one another. Curse, this word has been used several times in these chapters to describe these kingdoms. And it probably does not sound a lot different than how we live today, than our world. Our world, the, the kingdoms that men has made. Do you think about the world around us. Do we see these traits? Violence, right? anger, jealousy, injustice. Do we see that in our world? Of course we do. All around us. Those are the kingdoms that we make. But what about God's people? 
It's in the midst of these kingdoms. It's in the midst of this violence that God comes in and brings his grace. As we end chapter 11, it's, it's really, it's a dark time. There's not a lot to hold on to. But then we turn to chapter 12, and things change. We see this promised kingdom of God that's coming, that he's going to create a new kingdom Right? He's, he's not going to leave it up to men to build their kingdoms. God's going to come in and say, I'm going to build this kingdom. Right? We've read this passage just a few minutes ago. We often think about it in terms of us relating to God. But I want, I'm going to read it again, and I want you to think about it in terms of a king. All right? Our God, our king, who is saying, I'm giving you this new kingdom. The Lord said to Abram, it says, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to a land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All right, this God, this king, has identified this man named Abram. Abram comes from the line of Seth. Remember that other the graphic once again? This is the line of Noah now. He has three sons, Ham, Japheth, and Shem. Shem's the godly line. That's where Abraham comes from. Right? We are told in, in Judges 24 that it's not, he wasn't like this super spiritual person sitting out in the middle of the Middle East, um, you know, worshiping God. He was an idol worshiper. All right, he and his family, they worshiped idols, probably the moon god. But God called him because he was part of this line. He said, Abram, now I'm calling you. I'm calling you to leave this place and go. Go to a new land. I'm giving you new land. What do kings have? They have authority to tell you what to do, and they have land. Lots of it. And he says, Abram, I'm giving you this land. All right, so trust me. There's no details. It's very vague, isn't it? No details. It doesn't say, here's where you're going to go. Southeast, you know, so many miles or whatever, so many days journey. Just, just follow me. Just, I'll show you where to go. That, would that satisfy you? Is that enough for you? <laughs> I would like a few more details, honestly. But here he says, Abram, I need you to go. I'm giving you a new land. And I'm going to make you into a new people. I'm gonna, you're going to become a nation. All right? You're going to fill this land. With people. So it's here is God saying, I'm going to be your king. I will do this for you. Six times in here it says, I will, I will, I will. Six times. It's the words of a king saying, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to watch over you. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to give you people. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to build you into the nation. I'm going to bless you. All right? I'm going to bless you in so many ways. Here we see this promise of this kingdom that has been set before us as a reminder of what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is God's reign through his people over his place with his blessing. Don't you see that here with Abram? God's the king. He says, I'm going I'm to reign through you, right, over this place, the land I give you, with my blessing, God's a king. He's calling his people. He's given them a place, and he's blessing them around it. This is his promised kingdom. 
I say promise because it's one of his covenants. To understand the scriptures, you've got to understand covenants. These covenants are promises that God makes. He sets them apart, and usually there's a sign with it, right? They're very, very important. One had already been given right after the flood. God makes a covenant with Noah. Remember what he says? He says, I'm never going to destroy the earth with the flood again. And he gives the covenant as a rainbow, right? That's God's promise, right? A one-way promise. Here's what I'm promising to you. And he does it again here with the story of Abram. He says, I'm going to promise that I'm going I'm to bless you. I'm going to take you. I'm going to build you into this nation. And there's a story of the next few chapters. We won't get into that, but it's this covenant promise. There's going to be more promises to, to, uh, to um, Moses, right? There's going to be one about David, about always being on the throne. These are these promises that God makes, but none of them, all of them lead up to the most important one with this new covenant that comes through Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross and through his resurrection. And we will get to that soon. But these are those promises that God keeps making. As we see his kingdom, the kingdom of God develop, we're going to see it through Scripture, and it gets in the New Testament. But he's not giving up on his kingdom, right? He did not give up on it. When Adam and Eve were banished, after they sinned, he did not give up. He gave it some time. He let it play out. He let, let it see kind of what men could do with it. But when we brought it to ruin, when we brought nothing but violence and envy and jealousy, God says, now I'm going to step in and I'm going to bring in my kingdom. A kingdom looks different than the world around you. Instead of a, a kingdom of, of cursing, it's going to be a kingdom that blesses. Much different. So as we look at these portions of Scripture, we have that, remember that question that continued. How, can, is it possible? Can we get back into a relationship with God? We look at chapters 4, doesn't look like it. We see chapters 5, we see these, maybe this little glimmer, there's a way that maybe we can walk with the Lord, maybe we can seek the Lord. But as we go through, through chapter 11, it still looks bleak until he says, but I'm going to promise you this. I'm going to bring a new people, a new kingdom. I'm going to bring them around. I'm going to gather them, and I'm going to watch over them. I'm going to care for them. And it doesn't come because men deserve it. It doesn't come because Abraham was that godly, right? He was worshiping idols. How did God do it? Why did he do it? Because of grace. Because of God's grace. Not because anything we have done. Not because we deserved it or anybody did anything deserving. I think we saw that pretty clear through this. We were evil, wicked people. But God says, because of my grace, and I love these people, I'm going to make a promise and I'm going to hold on to it. Nothing's going to take or break this promise. So how do we live in this kingdom? What does it matter for us? I mean, this is a long time ago. This is to Israelites, right? This is, this is Genesis 12. Like, there's a whole lot of Bible, you know, that, that is to come. A lot more of the story. But, but what does it matter for us? 
I think a couple things. I think there's two, probably two or three things that we can take from this. One is, remember this, that God is a God of grace, right? It, yes, there is, there is the judgment part, right? We see the sin, we see judgment, but we always see grace coming. There's always this remnant, always these people that he says, I'm not giving up, I'm holding on to you. So we see a God of grace. But he says, though, that here's how you are to live in this relationship. You live by faith, right? You live according to faith. Faith is trusting. Faith is saying, I'm going to trust you. I don't see all of it. I don't know all of it, but I'm going to trust you, Lord. And that's what Abram did. And look at verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. He obeyed. He did. He listened. He, He didn't have all the details. Like I said, there was a lot left out. Would you follow that way? If God just said, hey, I want you to leave your family, your friends, your work, all of that to a place that I'm going to show you and I'll tell you when you get there. (laughs) I kind of feel like there should be like um, a verse that's probably missing in here, like um, Genesis 12, 3.5. And that's this verse that's missing. I don't know why it's missing, but it says that's when Abram kind of reasoned with God. He asked some questions, some clarifying questions, like, where do you want me to go? How far is it? God answered him, and then we get to verse 4, and then he went, right? But that's not faith. That's what I want. That's what you want. We want that part of the story. Like, Lord, I'll follow you, but please tell me what I'm getting into. How far, how long, what's it going to cost me? The beautiful thing about Abram is he went. He followed. He lived by faith. He says, I'm going to trust you. You're my king. You're my God. I'm going to trust you. Eve didn't do that. Remember, she had very specific instructions, but she said, I'm not going to listen to you. Adam, I'm not going to to listen to you, God. We're not going to obey. But Abram does. He lives by faith. And so as we live in his kingdom, we have to be men and women who live by faith. Right? It's not always going to make sense. It's not always gonna, we're not always going to have a plan for it. We have to learn how to listen to the Lord, how to follow him and live by faith. That's going to be very important for us. But there's one more thing here too, that as we live in his kingdom, that we're going to be blessed, but we turn that blessing out to others. Okay? Remember, he says that so clearly. He says, I will bless you so that you will bless others. The whole world will be blessed through you. Okay, so what does that mean? What does that mean? Okay, so God blesses me, and I got to bless others. Remember when, uh, I referred to it earlier in in chapter 4, when Cain killed his brother Abel, and then God said, the curse, there's a curse that's going to be over from you. And it says, he departed from the Lord's presence. He departed from his presence. The curse is... You are alienated from God. You have no relationship, no contact with God anymore. If that's the curse, then what is the blessing? The blessing is that you've been brought into a relationship. You have a a, a relationship with God that you can talk to him, you can walk with him, you can hear him. That's the blessing. You have been blessed that you have this relationship with God. Now go give that relationship to somebody else. 
So when it says that you are a blessing to the world, that means you've got to do your evangelism. Go do your outreach. Go share your testimony. Go share with people how they can come into a relationship with God. Please don't keep it to yourself. Please don't keep it to yourself. Ambassador Church, we cannot keep this blessing to ourselves. We cannot keep it within our our little community and let the rest of the world be cursed, be alienated from God. To live in God's kingdom means we share it with others. We share this. Uh, By the way, we live and how we, we love and all of that, but how we share this. This message has to go forth. So why would we do things like Mexico, a Mexico trip, to have the opportunity to share that faith with somebody? Why we do VBS, to share that so that others could be blessed, right, upwards, so that those kids and those families could be blessed. And the cool thing yesterday is if you went to the games at halftime, what did you hear? You heard people from our church giving their testimonies sharing their testimony of how God had changed their lives. That's what the coaches are doing. They're sitting there at, at, during the practices, sharing their lives with them so that they could be blessed. Because this is important to who we are as ambassadors. It's, who, it's important who we are as, as a church. It's important to who we are as followers of God. That we are people that are going to live by faith. Right? It's going to be hard. How do we do that? There's all, we never know. But we're also going to be people that are looking to see how we can bless others, how we can share the hope that we have, the love that we have, share them the, the community that we have, the kingdom that we have. That in this other kingdom, there is so much just garbage that goes on every day. There's a hurt and there's pain. And yet we're here we are in the kingdom of God. And, and sure, I mean, there was, we have our, our moments, we have our difficulties, but we have this beautiful relationship with God. We have a relationship with each other. Things we have to share with this world because the world needs it. This week, um, or I guess this month, I've kind of been hearing stuff from uh, other churches or other Christians or whatever stuff on social media about boycotting Target, you know, because of their... LGBTQ stuff, and you know what? Um, sure, if, if you want to, go ahead. I'm sure the wealth, shop somewhere else if you want to. I'm not concerned with that so much. Because why? Because that's what I expect in man's kingdom. All that kind of stuff, right? Right? That's what, our king, that's what the man's kingdom is about, okay? But how, what I am concerned with is this. How are we sharing God's love? How are we showing the hope how are we, how are we uh, modeling Christ's likeness to this world? Right? What's our message that we are giving? It's, that's the harder part, right? That's the harder part. How are we showing this kind of love that God has given to us with others that are different from us? Because this world needs it, right? Everybody needs it. And so let us be challenged. Let us think long and hard about how we live in the kingdom of God, how we show this with our community, how we live as the light and the darkness, because that's the reality, right? The world is dark. We live in the kingdom of light, and the kingdom of light is in this world. We are ambassadors. We live, and we're going to live by faith. We're going to live to bless.
the other people in our lives. Right? May God give us the power that we need. May God give us the strength that we need to walk with the Spirit and to be, bring hope into this world.